Songwriter Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Holmquist. We're here today with Cam Cunningham. How's it going? It's a, it's a little bit of a weird day, but it's going okay. We're recording this the day after quote-unquote election day, where nothing actually has been <laughs> revealed or decided. Uh, so it's a sort of a weird vibe, but here we are. Yep. It's sunny out in Chicago, at least. Like, there's that. It's something. It is a beautiful day, yeah. Just trying to hold on to the little things like that. <laughs> well, you have some bad songs to share with us today. Got some, got some real treats for you. Got some real treats. I'm excited to hear them. Uh, when, when did you first start writing songs? Um, I think I, I started writing songs, I think, before I even knew how to play. Like, that was, like, the first thing I wanted to do um, when I finally convinced, convinced my mom to buy me a guitar. Before I even learned anything, I was just messing around. And I would try, try to find a method to write uh notes down you know because i didn't know how to read music i didn't even know how to read tab you know and i would try to figure it out and then eventually i figured out about tab and then i I used tab and eventually i learned how to um read music but that was all after i'd already kind of been interested in writing stuff about how old were you like what kind of things were you listening to then were there artists you were trying to emulate um or people you were inspired by yeah i would say first when i picked up um the guitar i was probably about 11 or 12 you know, I think like a lot of a lot of boys my age, I liked uh, like classic rock music. I thought it was really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was into that. And I would say basically right after I picked up the guitar, I like reacted to that really hard. And then I really like despised classic rock music. And I thought it was like the, the right. worst music on the planet. Uh, at that time, I really loved Frank Zappa. I really love Zappa. Um, I liked a lot of like progressive rock stuff. Um, and I still I still really uh, do like Zappa stuff. That one is has held up through everything. Uh, yeah, I like stuff like Pink Floyd a lot. So I did keep some of the classic rock that verged on the more progressive style, but, you mm-hmm. know, ACDC had to go. I couldn't, couldn't have that <laughs> anymore. So you have a few tracks here to share with us. Uh, is there one you want to start with? Um, yeah. Why don't we start with, uh, if you don't mind, with the oldest ones first, and then oh, yeah. uh, we can kind of, uh, bring it up to the present day. I think the oldest one, yeah, this is called Electric Blue is the, is the name of the tune. The file is a uh, theme final. Did you want to talk a little bit about that one before, before we give it a listen? Do you remember when she wrote it? <laughs> yeah, this would have been, uh, 2011. Um, I believe I can still uh, think of the dorm room where I wrote a lot of this, where I was sitting by the guitar. I can think of, yeah, I still had this audio interface that I'm using to record this interview. I think I had like just bought it um, because uh, everyone around me in the dorm room was starting to really hate me uh, playing guitar all the time. <laughs> uh, this, this bad voice held up. And um, I actually don't sing on this tune, but I did write um, the vocal melody. I wrote the lyrics. It was an ambitious project. <laughs> Um, I think this was one of the first ones too that I, because I had the interface and everything, I was really able to like record a lot of my own parts on my own. Right. I didn't really need anyone else for that. Um, and then I was able, my friend Nico, um, who I still do play music with sometimes, who I'm still really good friends with. Um, I somehow convinced him to sing the part that I wrote. I don't know, man. I, after listening to this, I'm like, man, I really have to buy Nico a beer or something. I had to take <laughs> him out to dinner because I have no idea why he agreed to do this. All right. Well, let's give it a listen then. Thank you. 
did you do a lot of self-recording stuff then? Once you yeah. got, I assume once you got the interface, you really like yeah. went into it. Yeah, and uh, yeah, as you can tell, I, I really was into the interface. I got a ton of guitars on this bad boy. <laughs> I have so many. Uh, and that's Nico singing there. I think I also, I think the bass is probably a MIDI bass. Uh, mm-hmm. A really bad drum sample I got for this one. Oh, and I have the reverse guitars. So, of course, I, I was trying to mess around with them a little bit. Of course. Well, when you get something like that, you're like, what weird shit can I do? Like, what are what are all the things like that I can put on it? When you're playing with a new toy, it's like... Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's even the way the song kind of works, um, like, conceptually as well, right? I came up with this one chord progression, and there were just way too many variations, right? It was like, what can I do with this? And I put all of my ideas on the record, which I really... <laughs> I, I should have uh, should have held back a little bit. I was, yeah, I had just read the book Razor's Edge, and that is really coming out here. Um, so was this part of a full album then? No, this was just a one-off thing. So, um, you know, uh... This was kind of like a group that I was in uh, with Nico that was kind of a precursor to Cordova. Like, I was writing a lot of the tunes. Um, Nico played in a while. And then there was a time where some of the current members played with Nico. Um, then Nico wasn't in the band, and we kept adding people. I think maybe at this time, we also had a bad name. Um, I think it was the Imperial Quartet, which is <laughs> not good. <laughs> uh, that's wonderful. Yeah, we once... Um, we once played, uh, we went. We all went to Chicago, and we played a uh, really dirty frat house right around this time. There are so many guitars right now. Oh, Lord. <laughs> it's like a Grateful Dead concert. <laughs> yeah, I think some DAWs have a track limit, and I really should have got one of those DAWs. <laughs> But yeah, I was saying, yeah, we were playing some frat house. And after the the set, uh, we had a guy come up to us and said that we were the best Radiohead cover band he had ever heard. (laughs) But we were not a Radiohead cover band. (laughs) We probably did too many Radiohead covers in the set, but this is wild. I I don't know what's going on here. Oh, man. Going into space. (laughs) We're very, very much going into space. Yeah. Again, too, I had just bought this interface. I think I had probably just torrented Ableton. <laughs> um, right. And, oh, man, really experimenting with those presets. Yeah, I think we have a little editing error here. You walked in like an insect and crawled to bed. I feasted my eyes on you. Got a lot of gratuitous guitar work for you. <laughs> I 
did I did retire the wah pedal not long after this. I did yeah. finally bring it back out, and I think I uh, I use it now with with a. Uh, uh, I hold back a little bit when I use it, right? I use it with a little more discretion now. <laughs> yeah. It's like it's like really intensely eating one food for a long time, and then you're like, I can't, I can't eat so much of this anymore. I really exactly. just need to uh, chill out with that. Man, I can't believe I brought that synth in here. Yeah, I mean, th- this was an age of dubstep, you know, for me as a uh, college, like, freshman or sophomore, you know, uh-huh. who really liked um, drugs and dubstep. I think that, that was the biggest influence on this uh, synth decision. That tracks. <laughs> <laughs> We're rocking, baby. Man, those drums, huh? Just, just keep going. I can't believe I wrote so many words to this. I mean, man, it's like a Finnegan's Wake of a lyric. I gotta say, definitely bad song, but Nico's performance, not bad. Really, really, oh my dude. He really came through for me on this one in a way that I didn't necessarily deserve. <laughs> Love that. Oh, had to had hit it with the fade out. Yeah, I love that fade out. <laughs> Gotta have it. <laughs> Gotta have it. I had just learned how to automate, you know, and I had to put that to use. Right, exactly. I mean, I have the 80s bass sound going anyway, so I got to hit him with the fade out. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so what's the next one that you let's, have? Let's actually, because you said two or three tunes. Let's let's skip uh, Dream Scream, maybe. Let's try okay. to go to um, to Gloasis. All right. Well, what what do you have to say about this one before we... Um, okay. Give it a listen. So this was a, a different iteration of the Imperial Quartet that who I was in with uh, with Nico and then uh, a good friend of mine, Derek Hadamer, and a uh, a rotating cast of drummers. You know, it's always it's like the Spinal Tap joke, but it really is true to find a drummer uh, a lot of times. Now, uh, for like the last man like seven years, I've been playing with Zach Upton Davis, who's my roommate for a long time. Great drummer, so glad to have found him. But before that, man, it was difficult. We had one drummer. Um, who I, I don't think we actually have no drums on this because we were in between drummers. I think we had just fired this one guy. He showed up to rehearsal um, the day before the gig and hadn't listened to any of our tunes and had also just taken a tab of acid for rehearsal. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. And we're like, okay, well, we got to play the show tomorrow. We're going to make it work. He actually wasn't sounding as bad as you might expect. And then the next day we had our gig and he took another tab of acid before the gig. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it did not go well. You, you need to give yourself a little bit of a break there. Uh, yeah, no, that's a lot. It, it, was, <laughs> it was a lot. It was really a lot. I was, I, was, I was impressed by his bold choice. Even like, even not considering that he had to do a rehearsal and a gig, like just, just back to just back. Back to back. That's rough. Yeah. That's so. rough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I would never do that. I have too much anxiety to do something like that. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. 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 No, There's like, no way. Once, once uh, every few months would be more than enough uh, for me. Um, yeah. But yeah, so uh, there's there's no drummer on this. Uh, we're still rocking. We're rocking really hard. 
Um, certainly a lot more harder, a lot harder than, than Cordoba would. And we actually, too, speaking of people in my life who showed me so much goodwill, even as I was writing some of these bad songs, uh, my uncle, uh, Adam Armstrong, actually agreed to uh, let us all come out to his studio that he had uh, in the suburbs. So we actually got a pretty good sound quality and we had to pay nothing for it. So it's really not too bad. I mean, we never That's got great. to lay down our drums for it because, you know, I, I don't know what happened other things you know happened and we didn't we never got around to finishing it i guess but but yeah so i'm really i'm grateful for him uh that we got a chance to record this and document this this tune this is maybe about a year or so later all right well let's give it a listen adam uh my uncle had a a basement full of synths and he actually had a business where um he made some elements of synths and would sell them and that was uh more of a curse than a blessing on this record it allowed us to really experiment (laughs) but it was uh it was it was too many options I can I can still imagine I can picture the grunge pedal the Digitech grunge pedal and uh, it just gives me you know the shippers or something <laughs> just just imagining it on this track I don't know what's going on there yeah these these are some rough lyrics again I somehow I wrote them and I somehow got Derek in this case to sing them and I don't know how. know what you were writing them about or give them something to oh, man. The uh, well, I think diamonds never, diamonds never die baby I don't know I think I think I wanted to rock I Anna. guess I guess that's uh, self-explanatory I, think I don't know why I'm so sorry I think that was the one of the problems here is I didn't have anything to write about and then I ended up with lines that really rocked like diamonds never die right my guitar playing here is not terrible. I mean, the aesthetic choice is not good of this grunge pedal. Oh, I can't believe I did it like that at the end. What was I thinking? <laughs> and I needed the second guitar to finish the phrase because that epic pentatonic descent was not enough, you know? Right, of course. Oh. Her hair is tossed by the breeze. Bridge is not so bad. Yeah. In, in its context. Yeah, I was playing this for some of the members of Cordoba when we were hanging out the other day. Yeah. And I was like, man, that guitar is awful. And Zach Bain our keyboard player, he said, um, it sounds really stylistically appropriate. And then he heard even more in a way. He's like, man, what style am I playing that this guitar tone is appropriate? have at least four of those bad boys going on right now those guitars oh yeah this tag that's some thick guitar (laughs) 
Taste. Tasty. Very tasty. How drama- <laughs> what a dramatic exit from that song. <laughs> oh, it's too, too much drama. <laughs> yeah, it's like 90 Day Fiance in here. So how would you say that your songwriting has changed over the years? Yeah, I would say uh, I, I want to be a lot more focused. I think the first tune in particular, really not focused all over the place. Uh, I think I've gotten a lot better at editing and cutting ideas back. Because a lot of times you write a lot of different things that you like, but that doesn't always mean that it should be on a recording. You know, yes. and I think that took a while uh, to learn that there are good things that have no business ever uh, being played in front of a microphone. Um, I think too, you know, I think I was into jazz at this point. I think my music has a lot more elements of jazz. Now there's a lot more subtlety to it. Like here, it's just in your face. We're rocking and right. we're rolling. That's something that I, it's, it feels like kind of dated if or it feels really dated in a way. I mean, I think it was like, you know, this was already dated when we were doing it, but for me, it feels even more dated, you know, in the subsequent like eight or nine years since we, uh, recorded this. So I think I wanted to do something. Um, but I think I still kind of have some grand ambitions you know like I, i'm still writing like bigger songs um but i think they're a lot more subdued uh, a lot more subtle just not like you know some uh just humongous like epic uh journey like it, it might still be uh i might i want to take the listener on uh to a lot of different places but i don't want it to be this you know epic journey right like we saw in gloasis also also i just want to point out the name to that was gloasis uh, <laughs> i think i've gotten a little bit better at naming my tunes as well it's still such a hard thing for me to do the tune naming. Yes. Um, I don't like naming a song or an album. It feels difficult. I don't know why that's such a, like the hard thing for me. Oh. I just feel like all the names I think of sound dumb. <laughs> yes. Maybe that's me being judgmental of myself, but I'm just like, oh God, this is a dumb name. Oh man, this is one of the biggest battles in Cordoba because, uh, <laughs> well, we also get so, we never have names to our songs at first. Like our names were are like November 27th tune or like, right. uh, like rock and roll baby or, uh, you know, just like <laughs> joke all, names. Yeah, exactly. Be- because the way that we write in general is I'll write write some chords some riff something like that i'll introduce it and a lot of times brianna writes over it and most of the lyrics we have now are brianna's lyrics so they're that's another problem i didn't have to get better at writing lyrics because you know i play in a band with brianna now and she can, <laughs> right. she can write lyrics well and also eric uh novak uh sings on some of our tunes and he writes a lot of his own lyrics too um so that wasn't an issue that i had but we get so used to calling our songs these joke names that if brianna needs to get a drink of water or someone else has to announce a tune we'll all forget what the name is of the tune that we're supposed to say to the audience you know we can't say rock and roll number four right or like jazzy jazzy beast you know or whatever silly name we have when I was in The Curls, we definitely had joke names for some of our songs, and some of those just became the real names. Like, there was one of the songs that I co-wrote and sang on. It's out. It's called Bing Bong, and we started calling it <laughs> Bing Bong as a joke, and then that's just what it became on the record, and I was I was always a little like, I cannot believe that this is Bing a, bong one of my songs is called Bing Bong, <laughs> because that's just, like, what we named it. I don't yeah. know. Um, but sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you just got to do that. Sometimes I don't know. Sometimes it's good, yeah. I mean, it, it means about as much as any other song name would mean, so. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I think that's another thing, too. It's an interesting point. Is like, I wanted these songs to, like, really mean something and to be big and to make a statement. And I don't really, I'm not really interested in that so much anymore. I want to create something that makes sense sonically from one place to another. And I think it's, like, sonically interesting. But I'm not necessarily, like, trying to make a statement. Even with our lyrics right. that we write now, like, they are intentionally 
political, but it's not like we're trying to like make a big statement, you know, it's just like, we're just saying how we feel, you know, or like we're reacting to scenario, but we're not saying, oh, you know, we need to do this. We need to make like a serious protest song where we like lay out demands or like, you know, that's too too big. It's like, you know. Yeah, and and we're going for something. Yeah, again, a little a little more subtle, a little less on the nose than um, the Digitech grunge pedal, and you know the lyrics that correspond to that. What has the pandemic time, I guess, uh, been like for you creatively? Yeah, it's really changed my pattern a lot. I think the weirdest thing that's happened to me is I've become like a crazy morning person. Like I've been really struggling. Really? Yeah. So I get up now at like 6.15 on my own oh my every God. day. <laughs> like I haven't set an alarm the entire pandemic at once. And I have the latest I got up was I was up till maybe like three in the morning and I got up at like 9.30, you know, and that was like the latest that I've slept. Um, and now it's like even when I'm up till like three, I still get up at seven. So that's been like really weird. And that's because there are no shows. And I think that's what was keeping me up late. It was I, I was at shows or I was at rehearsal mm-hmm. that was, you know, after work four or five days a week. So I just kind of pushed my schedule. Um, so it's like now and my my job is I, uh, I teach music and I don't normally start teaching during the summer. I did some lessons during the day. But now since kids have to go to school um, or even though it is Zoom school. Um, I don't start teaching until, you know, two. So I have a lot of time in the day then to write. So that's been really good. I found that I'll have like two or three weeks where I can get really involved. Um, and I am very detail oriented. Like I'm really a stickler. I know I drive people crazy with like how precise I like things. So I'll take like a, like I'll take a pretty long time writing a tune. I'll take maybe two or three weeks. Um, and I want to work out every little bit of it, especially since I've been writing more tunes with, um, lyrics and melody i've been like focusing on singing a bit more since you know we we you know cordoba we decided not to really rehearse or play together much yeah. and some of us are playing together a little bit in like smaller groups and it was easier when you could like play outside and stuff i'll have like two or three weeks where i really get an idea for a song or a few songs and i'll really work on that every day and then i need to take like a week or two to kind of like recuperate and kind of just not do as much creatively i hear that i mean i feel like it's sort of like a thing that can come in waves I yeah. don't know. I think for me and probably a lot of people, I just there's a lot more energy being expended worrying about the world. Yes. Um, so it's like you can only you can only put so much energy toward things. Yeah. But I have had like a lot more time just to myself to write because I think so much of my musical time was playing with other people, which I really miss. Right. Uh, but oh my I God, s- me too. <laughs> I, m- I miss it so much. But like now I'm just playing with myself and, you know, I play along with a lot of records and a lot of times I will get a musical idea. So, I mean, I've probably written since the pandemic started i bet at least 20 tunes um you know and i've written fragments to at least 20 more so i've written more than i've ever written by a lot which i think is different from a lot of my friends like i I have a lot of friends who've just kind of had writer's block or it's hard for them to want to write if they can't take the project to a band like for them it's just kind of disheartening um but yeah and that makes sense to me but for me it's like i just have to do it like i i it's like i feel like i have these things in me and i have to get them out you know totally what are some things you've been listening to lately that you've been liking So I have songs that I listen to um, and I want to sort of like emulate uh, in a lot of ways in my music. Um, And some things that I really like is uh, Bruno Perndas. I really like his most recent record. This Crumb record a lot from like 
2019, I think. I've been listening to that one a lot. Um, I think that's really interesting. And I've been listening to, uh, this is a, a, something I always listen to, but a lot of jazz from like the late 60s into early 70s. So um, like some Freddie Hubbard, some Miles Davis. Um, I also, um, speaking of like, like some political stuff, I was arrested at a protest in 2016. I had like a run-in with the police where they beat me up. And, um, oh, jeez. And I ended up, they ended up dropping all charges. They were trying to hit me with a felony. They ended up dropping all charges. A, a felony? A felony. You know how they are. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, I do. And, and <laughs> what they wanted, they wanted to threat, threaten me. And they said, right. we'll drop it if you tell us that the guy who was leading the protest attempted to hit, hit an officer. Right? Wow. That, that's what wow. they wanted. And they of wanted course. me too because I was the only white guy arrested to right. say this as well. Right? right? I think it, you know, that's that's how it works. Um, and, you know, I obviously was <laughs> willing to do that that's bullshit right um and i sued the police and i fucking won and i uh oh my god yeah congrats yeah and i i got i got finally got my check and it was really stressful because uh you know i was at some of these protests uh in the summer and i was really trying to not get arrested because you know that could have like messed with my settlement i wanted to make sure that i at least you know i I wanted to i had to show up you know i mean things are just so fucked up in this country i could not be part of it but i really felt like i couldn't be arrested because you know i just wouldn't get the settlement that i had like literally worked years for and you know my my lawyer had like spent so much my i had a great lawyer and she spent so much of her time really fighting for me i couldn't just like you know get arrested and then you know really lose this case um so i finally got that and i bought a bass um and i had this awful bass it was literally a bass that Derek Hadamer, who sang on the last song, he left here. It was a Squire uh, jazz master from like 2006 or something that I was playing. Mm-hmm. And um, I just upgraded and I got a really nice bass. So I've been playing a lot of um, bass as well. And like the, the 70s jazz stuff is really fun to play bass too. And then um, I have also, I, I feel like I'll obsessively listen to like three or four songs and just play them over and over. And these are not usually not songs that I want to write like, but it's just songs that I really love. I really love uh, some like Phoebe Bridgers. I've been really into her new record is really great. I really like Garden Song a lot. Oh my God. That's, I think that's my favorite one off the new record. It's beautiful. And I've been listening to, I like Elliot Smith a lot and I've been listening to 2.45 AM by him and playing it and singing it over and over. And Phoebe Bridges, uh, Scott Street. I'm convinced Scott Street is like an homage to 2.45 AM uh, as well. It's like really similar. And then before that, I got into a lot of country as well. Like I was singing and playing a lot of country, a lot of Hank Williams and stuff. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yeah, it was great. Thanks so much for having me, Anna. And thanks everyone for listening. Bye. Thanks for listening. You can hear Cordoba's music on the internet everywhere you find music, and you can find us on Instagram at BadSongwriter and on Twitter at Bad underscore Songwriter. If you are someone who would like to be on the podcast, you can email me at BadSongwriterPod at gmail.com. And if you're enjoying the show, we'd love it if you could rate, review, subscribe, follow, tell a friend about it, share about it on social media. All of these things really help us out. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye.